Welcome to this bonus episode of From the Front Porch. We are gearing up here in Thomasville for our annual one book celebration where our entire community reads one book together. This year, our one book selection is We Were the Lucky Ones by Georgia Hunter. And if you have known me or followed this podcast for any period of time, you will know I adored We Were the Lucky Ones when I first read it a couple of years ago. The book is now out in paperback and it has become a bestseller not only on the New York Times list, but closer to home. was one of our best-selling books at the bookshelf in 2016 and again in 2017. We love this book and so it was an honor to get to talk with Georgia Hunter about the book, about her writing process, um, about hope and human connection, and coming to Thomasville for one book. That's right, in case you didn't know, every year as part of our one book celebration, we invite the author to come to Thomasville. So Georgia Hunter will be in Thomasville at the Thomas County Board of Education Auditorium on Thursday, October 4th. Um, Tickets go on sale online on September 20th. So I'll make sure we put um, on our Instagram feed and in our show notes a link so you can buy tickets. If you have been wanting to visit Thomasville, whether because of this podcast or because Thomasville is just a really cool place, October 4th would be a great time to visit. Uh, First of all, because it'll hopefully be way cooler by then. And fall is really beautiful, even in our little corner of the South. Um, But because Georgia, I think you'll be able to tell in this interview, is such a well-spoken, thoughtful author. And I think you'll really want to hear her live. So if you can't come to Thomasville, that's what this podcast is for. Um, It's to introduce you to We Were the Lucky Ones and to Georgia Hunter, to hear kind of from her exactly why this book is so important. Um, And if you can come on October 4th, and I really hope you can, um, this gives you a nice preview of what to expect. So without further ado, my interview with New York Times bestselling author, Georgia Hunter. Hello. Hi, Georgia. It's Annie. Hi, Annie. How are you? I'm doing very well. How are you? Yes, I can hear you perfectly. Okay, excellent. Yep. I'm glad you found me. I don't know why. I don't know why. I couldn't see you as a. Um, well, didn't see your name pop up on Skype. You know, I don't even know. I'm sorry to say, I'm not even sure what my username is. So, so maybe um, that's maybe part that's, of it. Yeah. I found something called a bot. Okay. I was like, I'm going to not click on the bot. Okay. See if she, see if she contacts me. <laughs> that, any bot. I was like, that may, probably not the right answer. Yeah, that seems, uh, seems suspect. <laughs> Um, well, thank you for uh, chatting with me this morning. I really appreciate it. Of course, of course. thanks for um, thanks for having me on. So um, we are really excited uh, to host you in just a few weeks. I guess about a month from now. Uh, and so I just wanted to ask you a few questions. We have a weekly store podcast. Um, so this is kind of going to be an interview specific episode. Um, and I just want to talk to you about, we were the lucky ones and about the one book project. Perfect. Um, so I have to tell you that I first read, we were the lucky ones, I guess when it very first came out, um, my book club selected it as, um, their, pick of that month and what I loved I mean I adore your book I think it's fantastic um thank you you're welcome I am not often moved to tears but I ended that book (laughs) a sobbing mess (laughs) Uh, and my book 
Yes, and my book club felt very similarly. And part of the reason we had... Uh, we picked the book and then we had this really fantastic discussion is because one of our book club members at the time um, was German and she'd immigrated to the States to go to school. And so we had the most fascinating conversation um, about different cultures and about how um, growing up in German culture, what she had learned about World War II and how she had learned about it. So we just had the best discussion, which I think is a big compliment to your book. So um, that's part of the reason, yeah, that's part of the reason I um, really pushed (laughs) for this book to be the one book selection because one book is all about community conversations and I think your book really lends itself to that. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that so much. I love, that's the best feedback for me that I can get is to know that the story inspired Um, discussion and conversation and and was thought-provoking and it's interesting I was just at a book club last night actually with my uh, my alma mater UVA University of Virginia Mm -hmm. there's a club UVA club of New York and so I was there and it was just so interesting and so fun to sit and talk with students um, from various years and hear their questions and hear often I find that there are for as many questions as there are, there are stories to be told from mm-hmm. readers as well, such as, oh, my grandmother came over from Poland or from Germany and such. So I love that it makes people think about their own ancestry as well. That's also very rewarding. <laughs> well, that was one of the questions I had. I um, I follow you on Instagram, and so I see all these author events you're doing. And I wondered if in all of your travels and in the conversations that you're having, whether it's in book clubs or in presentations you're doing at libraries, um, what kinds of stories have you heard? And, and is that, I guess that was one of my questions, is that something that you've noticed is that your book not only maybe elicits questions like would be typical um, in an author signing or at an author event, but also I wondered if your book, if you found that your book cultivated um, conversations and storytelling. Absolutely. Often the Q&A will be just questions, but it's when I'm signing books and people are kind of lined up and waiting to chat that every, almost every person has something they want to tell me. They feel compelled to tell me whether it's, well, I, um, you inspired me to go on ancestry.com and research my family history. You inspired me to sit down um, with my grandmother because she's getting very old and has never shared her World War II stories, or, oh, I have an uncle who came over, or a great-grandfather who came over, and this is his story, and I just love that. I just love knowing that uh, that people are taking away, whether it's a theme or um, a storyline, whatever's resonating with them, and kind of, a, you know, being moved by that, and enough to tell me about it, and I get emails all the time, too. People reach out, and by Facebook or on my website and share their stories there as well. So I've just been, to be honest, blown away by how many people have offered up their own personal stories. And um, it's challenging to keep up with those responses. I <laughs> bet. Can imagine because it's, it, 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 but it's so moving to me um, to know that, that these, that readers are um, responding in that way. What a great um, byproduct of, of storytelling is that it then inspires us to discover our own stories. And I really, I think that's really powerful. Agreed. Yeah. Um, we know of course, um, if we are readers of your book, we know that we were the lucky ones is based on your own family history, um, or your own family's history. 
I'm curious, I know based on the author's note and and interviews I've read that you kind of interviewed um, your grandmother after your grandfather passed away. You were around 14, 15. So that's maybe when you first heard some of these aspects of your family's story come to life. And then later in college, you heard some of it. But I'm curious, what made you decide to go from maybe casually hearing these stories or sitting at the feet of your grandmother and then deciding to tackle the task, I'm sure the arduous task, of writing it all down and, and putting it in this format. I'm curious how that process happened. <laughs> it was a daunting project to take on, and I think that's what took me so long to uh, finally commit to it, because I was, you're correct, 15 years old when I learned about this piece of my grandfather's past. So I had no idea growing up that I was a quarter Polish Jewish or that I came from a family of Holocaust survivors. That was news to me in this interview with my grandmother, thanks to a uh, high school English assignment. Um, And from there, yes, five years later, there was a family reunion, and I heard more stories kind of about the greater Kirk family, because my grandfather was one of five siblings. So I heard little snippets then of how the entire family managed to survive. And that's when the idea, I'd say, was seated. That was in 2000. I was 21, and I had just graduated from college. And um, I, 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 But it wasn't then that I thought, okay, I'm going to be the one to write this. I remember thinking, somebody needs to write this. Somebody needs to write these stories down. And then years, I think eight years would pass before I finally put a stake in the ground and said, okay, this is... This is something I can't get out of my heart and out of my mind. I'm going to tackle it. And I started by reaching out to all the family members and saying, hey, this is something I think I'd like to do. Uh, What do you think? Could I come visit you and interview you? And then I kind of held my breath thinking people might say, hey, you know, relax. Don't quit your day job. (laughs) Maybe we don't have that many stories to tell. But uh, the response was immediate and so Strong. It was so, there. I was met with so much support and mm. excitement. Um, everybody sort of felt like they had wanted to take it on too and set, fi- fi- probably felt like, oh, finally someone's offered to do it. Yeah. So um, I was invited into everybody's homes, and that's when in 2008, when I set off with my little digital voice recorder and my notebook, and I flew to Paris for my first interview with Felicia, who you meet in the book. She was really important for me to meet with her first. She was the only still is the only living survivor with firsthand memories from Mm. my family the other kids that were born during the war were too young to have any memories and then the second the first generation um have since passed Mm. so and then as soon as i start like after that first interview i knew i couldn't stop i mean i just the stories were so unbelievable to me and little by little i also started gathering outside research um from resources like the Holocaust Museum, the International Tracing Service, and I would get a statistic say, um, for example, I discovered that the my family's from a town called Rodom, Poland, in central, central Poland, and before the war, the city was home to about 30,000 Jews who made up about a third of the population, and I discovered um, through my research that after the war, there were fewer than 300 survivors. I could, I could not believe that, that you opened the book with that statistic, I think. Yeah. And I remember, I mean, I had no idea. I had no idea. 
And that was just one of thousands of towns that has statistics similar to that. Mm. But it was just for me to know that my entire family somehow found a way to remain intact mm-hmm. uh, for the most part. And that with that statistic, it just blew my mind. And I realized, really, we, the Kirk family, was an anomaly. Mm-hmm. And that also fueled, I mean, I thought, you know, if, if it's, it's, it's not just that they're an anomaly, but it's, I, I made it sparked my curiosity even farther. I really just, I needed to know why and how. So I just kept at it, but um, it sure was a long process. It ended up being nine years start to finish before the book was complete. So, you know, it started as those interviews and I'd come home and dash off maybe a scene or two because I was so excited about what I was learning. And then um, eventually when I just, when I realized that that was not probably the most effective way to write write the story in these one-off scenes, I started creating a timeline and the timeline uh, really became the bones of the story. I color coded it by sibling and I added historical context, which in the end, as I it was, sort of felt like a giant lesson in history for me. Cause I yeah. had learned of course a bit about the Holocaust in high school and my studies, but I wasn't as familiar at all with the Russian piece, what was going on in Siberia. Um, and because the family spread out so yeah. much, re- literally across continents, I was you know, learning about you know Africa and the Middle East and in Brazil and South America and the States. So uh, it was really helpful for me to pepper in those historical snippets yes. in that context. And then uh, in the end, decided to leave those in the book because I felt like readers might appreciate that as well. Absolutely. Uh, I, I know I did. I, because like you, obviously you grow up learning things and you hear certain aspects of the history, but I, the fact that your book, um, and the story kind of crossed continents was fascinating. Um, I mean, and heartbreaking when you realize just how global of a crisis that was. And, um, I, I remember very vividly being struck by, especially the Siberia story, um, and, and just how vast, um, how vast, this history was. I guess I just, I was not aware of that. And so, um, I'm curious too, and perhaps this is a logistical question. I, as an, as a bookseller and a bookstore owner and an avid reader myself, I'm just so curious, did you have a degree in writing? Like what? I, because it's really a beautiful work of fiction. I mean, obviously it's based in your family's history, but you chose to, um, you know, file this more under, I guess, the historic fiction narrative than, um, than nonfiction. And did you have a background in history in journalism? It's really so well done and so well written. And I just, I, is, is everybody walking around with this storytelling <laughs> gene and ability that we don't know about? <laughs> oh, thank you so much. I, um, I do not have a degree in journalism um, or creative writing, although I've always loved to write. My father was a writer, I mm-hmm. come from a family of writers, um, and I've written, been one of those kids who writes in a journal. You know, mm-hmm. I wrote in my journal all the time, and I love to write about my travels, and I did submit some articles as a young girl to the local newspaper and that <laughs> type of thing. Um, but in college, I studied uh, psychology, and mm-hmm. I loved that. I loved the field and kind of diving deep into the human psyche and understanding behaviors and why we are the way we are. Um, so I think uh, for me, the process of writing this book was, it, it was, uh, you know, I didn't really intend to set off and write this big beefy historical fiction novel mm-hmm. at all. I set off to capture the family story for the family. Mm-hmm. You know? So I kind of was first family historian and then recorder of our history. And then it, 
certainly snowballed into something I would have never, I could have never imagined. Mm -hmm. Um, but interestingly, in the beginning, you know, finally, when I finally had a manuscript that was readable and I let my mom read it and my husband <laughs> read it and a good friend read it, um, and then decided, all right, if I'm really thinking about publishing this, I should probably let someone who doesn't know me love me um, <laughs> read it. There's no reason to be nice to me. And so I found a freelance editor and she read it and loved it. And then an agent came into the picture. Um, and when we were pitching the book to publishers after another probably year of revisions, um, one publisher actually said, we, we will publish this, but uh, we'd love to publish it, but only as nonfiction, as narrative nonfiction, because the story is so unbelievable that mm. you're worried if you call it fiction, people will assume that you made a, made it up or part of it up. Wow. And um, I appreciated that because of all the research, right? Right. And, you know, I put so much work into it, but... I felt strongly in the end because I was only able to interview Felicia mm -hmm. and all the other characters were brought to life through second generations, through their children's memories mm -hmm. of what had been passed down. And I was putting dialogue in their mouths and thoughts in their heads. Mm. And those were the details to me that were some of the most important ones. And I tried every, you know, everything I could to make sure they were accurate, but I just didn't feel comfortable saying 100% this is what they said. Right. I mean, the children weren't even there. How, how would they know? How would I know? So uh, the lens that I used was if it could have happened and somebody could have said it this way or done it this way, and if it was described to me that way and through you know, the other layers of research, it's plausible, I included it. And the narratives of who was where and when is all true. Mm -hmm. I mean, their their storylines of how they got from A to B to C is all heavily researched. It was more the colorful details, those human details of what were they thinking and feeling and saying that I personally think really bring a story to life. And that's why I love the historical fiction genres for those details that you kind of get lost in it, right? You just yeah. realize you get out from the other in the, on the other side and you realize, oh my gosh, I just learned about what it was like to be in a certain time or place through the eyes of someone who was there yes. without really thinking about how much I was learning along the way. You yeah. Know what I mean? Oh, exactly. Um, my husband and I always are talking about how we wish um, teachers, and perhaps they are now, but we reflect back on our educations and we wonder why aren't more teachers, especially in high school settings, assigning historic fiction because you're learning things, as you said, without quite realizing that you're learning them. Um, and you know, the best, and also, oh, go ahead. More relevant and more memorable. Yeah. I, I no, I was going to agree with you in ways that I feel like you also learn in a way that feels more relevant yes. and more memorable because sometimes those big, awful statistics are almost unfathomable. Yes. You can't wrap your head around what it was like or, or, or how it was even possible that many people could have, you know, been lost. And so I think it helps so much to have a very personal perspective, that human lens applied to history. So one of the things that you're going to be doing when you come to Thomasville is visiting a couple of our local schools um, and a couple of our classes have taken the book on and um, if they're not reading the whole thing they're reading snippets of it and um, I know that the book um, obviously because of its subject matter and because of its place in history does contain some intense scenes and and I know sometimes parents and teachers can be concerned about um, what their students are reading in a few weeks we're going to celebrate at the bookstore um, banned books week and and books you know that we love and adore have often been banned in schools or in libraries um, and I would argue as a lover of books and as a bookstore owner that even teenagers should be reading books like this if not this one then books like it um, do you do you find 
this book to be accessible for teenagers or why do you think if you know if you and I agree that historic fiction should be maybe introduced in classrooms because of its relevance and because of, of how it can make history come alive um, why do you think books like this um, should be maybe in the classroom or in the hands of um, younger readers I, I love the idea of books like mine and the many many other it's such a field of books right now, I feel like, especially now with this World War II um, historical fiction mm-hmm. genre. Uh, I love the idea of those books landing in the hands of young readers. Um, my agent's daughter read it at 11, oh, wow. and I thought, whoa, really? <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, but she, you know, everybody knows their kids, and she's a very That's mature 11-year-old, and she was so uh, just absorbed and had all these questions for me, and I just loved it. I loved answering those questions, and I, I recently went back to my... Um, middle school and I spoke to the seventh and eighth grade humanities class about the book and I find that uh yes it offers kids a way to put themselves into the shoes of Mm -hmm. a family of Polish Jews Mm -hmm. so these like going back to the statistics excuse me statistics um it's really hard to wrap your head around the number six million Mm -hmm. right it's but when you think of one family five Mm -hmm. siblings and you read their stories and you read it from their own perspective so you're right there with them I think then suddenly that piece of history becomes more real Mm -hmm. and you realize it's not just black and white it's not just in sepia toned photographs Mm -hmm. and in records that have been retrieved these people were living their lives in color as dark as it was it was you know it, it was you almost read it like a film you know spooling out yeah. for you so um i i think and the reaction that i get is really interesting i get really really cool questions from um high school aged kids middle school and high school aged kids and it's just that's probably been one of the most rewarding parts and uh, slash terrifying. I remember going to my first <laughs> school visit and thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to get my presentation done and I'm going to say, are there any questions? And they're going to be crickets. Um, <laughs> but it was the opposite, thankfully, where you know, like 12 hands shot up with with questions. So um, yeah, I hope, and I've, and I've um, gotten feedback from teachers as well that uh, they're recommending the book or books like mine. And I love that. So maybe perhaps there'll be a movement toward including more historical fiction um, in curriculums, which would be great. I hope so. I I just feel like, and your your story about kids immediately raising their hands, I mean, uh, we work and interact with kids and teenagers all the time at the bookstore, and and it's one of my favorite things because they're so honest, and they're they're not afraid to give you feedback or to ask difficult questions, and, and I love that. They can really open up conversations we haven't maybe been willing to have before, and I can imagine in a classroom setting that would be really really wonderful um, and a great avenue for learning. So I, I'm with you. I hope that I hope that books like yours, I, and I remember, I mean, I think back when I was in probably sixth grade reading um, Diary of Anne Frank, which obviously isn't yeah. fiction, but also reading then Number the Stars. And I, that book has stuck with me forever. Um, and so I, I think that there's really a place for historic fiction in the classroom, and I, and I hope we see more of it. Um, I do too, and I'm really excited to meet with the students in Thomasville. It's, it's going to be a highlight for sure. Yes. Oh, I'm so excited. Um, the book became a New York Times bestseller. It was beloved um, and is beloved by critics and readers alike, which as a bookseller, I think that's very difficult for an author to do. 
I feel like books sometimes fall in the either the critics love it, <laughs> the readers uh, maybe less so, or readers love it but critics don't. But yours really did um, find that sweet spot of being loved by both critics and readers. And I wonder why do you think the story kind of caught on and resonated? Um, what do you think made it? I mean, it's difficult, I think, to ask an author, why do you think your book <laughs> um, wound up on the bestseller list? But I, that's such a big accomplishment. And I'm, I'm curious why you think it resonated so much with readers and critics. Yeah, I, I am, I, it's been a very surreal ride, I'll <laughs> tell you what. Um, but uh, I feel like the, the feedback um, that has been coming in um, kind of revolves around several big themes. One, um, I think people are craving nowadays more than ever a story about hope and human connection, um, courage, perseverance, and World War II is just like the perfect backdrop for those kinds of stories. And it's still close enough in our history that it feels like, gosh, you know, that was not that long ago, but yet far enough away that we are realizing those survivors who have stories to tell are, you know, dwindling mm-hmm. quickly. Soon there won't be anymore. So there, I think there is this fascination uh, right now with World War II in general. And, and then I think part of what uh, sets we were the lucky ones apart is that it's so close to me as the author. Like mm-hmm. it's, I hear from people, I hear from people sometimes say, I got to the end and read the author's note and realized it was your story, mm-hmm. your grandfather. And then I was blown away. Yeah. You know, and like, how, to me, it's just so obvious it's my story, but it's interesting that people are picking it up just as another historical fiction novel and then discovering that. But I think for people to realize that, uh, for a granddaughter to reach out to a grandparent and then discover this piece of history. And I think ancestry also is a strong theme that resonates with just about everyone. I think we all question at some point in our lives who we are and why we are the way we are, where we came from. So that is a really, um, I find people connect on that level. And again, that's why they want to share their stories with me. Mm -hmm. You know, when they, when I meet them, um, and then, the other piece that I get often is they, the readers seem to be connected to just the the bond of family, the mm-hmm. love um, infused into the story, which I didn't necessarily think about as I was writing, okay, I must infuse love into the story, but I think because I am related to mm-hmm. these characters and because I could imagine, try to imagine being in a world where I was separated from my mother, my sister, my kids, and what that would feel like. Mm. And so that theme, I think, also uh, is, is touching people today. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot going on in current events. And it's, <laughs> you know, it's kind of scary, to be honest, how yeah. parallel in some ways, um, how relevant in some ways this story feels. So I think for all those reasons, it sort of just came in at the right time and uh, it I don't know. I, it's it is interesting to hear what readers, what pieces they're drawn to, what themes and aspects of the story. But I'd say family, the love, the bond, the ancestry, and then just this story at its roots, which is one of hope and courage and resilience. 
I do think people crave right now. Absolutely. I think we need we need those stories right now. And I, I think that's certainly part of the reason it resonated with my book club. The, it's funny that you mentioned the author's note. I always, like, I love author's notes. I feel like they... Author's notes and acknowledgments, like I just read them all and like gobble them up because I'm I want every morsel and every detail. Um, and your author note is one in particular um, where I remember reading it, and that's part of the reason I was so emotional. Obviously, I loved the story and and was so filled with hope and 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 gratitude at the end that the characters that I had loved so much, um, you know, survived this this really horrific tale. Um, but I also was really struck by yeah the the love that I think you were able to express about your family and it certainly makes us think about our own families and our own family histories and um I think in the paperback edition I don't remember if it's in the hardback edition but there's this note that you say I think it's called since then and it's um and it's kind of this what has happened in the lives and in the life of you and in your family since the book's publication and um there's this ending sentence that I just, where you're kind of describing, I think you, when your family gets together and you're all so different and, and, but there's love and there's music and I, I just think that's so beautiful. Um, and so, <laughs> and so I just think it's so sweet. I, I grew up one of, um, I only have a sibling, but my mother was one of eight. And so when her family gets together, it's loud and I'm super introverted. And so sometimes I get really overwhelmed, but, but what a fun joy filled, um, existence that I'm quite lucky to have. And so I think your book certainly with me as a reader resonated because it made me think about my own family and my own um, the own, the stories I hear from my own parents and from their siblings and, and how we need to hear those stories because ultimately you're right, they do disappear. Um, and so anyway, I think that's certainly why it resonated with me. Um, I love, I love knowing that. Thank you for sharing that. And it's, I think also sometimes the stories of what our parents and grandparents and great grandparents and so on went through help to... <laughs> <laughs> put your own life and quote-unquote challenges into perspective that's right that's that's happened for me at least <laughs> like okay i've come into a crazy house with two crazy little boys dumping you know paint over their heads i'm like you know what it could be worse that's right <laughs> yes um okay so this book was very successful and congratulations on that i'm curious what's next for you was this a story that was so close to your heart and something that um, now that you're done, you're done, or is there a part of you that wants to keep writing? I'm curious what's next. I definitely would love to keep writing. It's funny because going into it, it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to be a writer now. I'm mm-hmm. going to be an author and this is my new thing. It was, you know, I'm going to write my family history and then boom, and then here's what it turned into. But now that I'm in the middle of it, I, uh, I can't imagine not writing again. Um, it's going to be challenging to find the perfect <laughs> subject because <laughs> I was clearly so uh, drawn to this one. This mm-hmm. was so personal for me. It was a calling in a way, and something I couldn't not write. Um, but that said, I've been thinking a lot about it, and I feel like that I could have a lot of fun sticking with the historical fiction genre, but maybe drawing from the themes that I really enjoyed reading, writing about, and that I think readers enjoyed reading about too, like the ancestry theme, mm-hmm. and I love a protagonist who's kind of up against all odds, who you really root for. I love a strong female lead. Mm-hmm. Um, World War II, I think Holocaust, I think I would stay in that sort of area, but mm-hmm. um, it'd be really neat. I'm thinking right now about 
possibly a book that has two storylines instead of, what, seven. Um, <laughs> it also makes my life and readers' lives a bit easier. Yes. Um, and one could be set in the present, which would be really great. It could maybe be told from the perspective of a young woman who's discovering a piece of her ancestral past. You know, something that I can really draw from my own personal experiences because I think that's what worked for me and for the book was mm-hmm. that it was so personal I felt so connected to it so it's hard to imagine just writing something purely from scratch that I don't really have a a strong interest in something that I can live with for right. the next couple of years as I research and write and edit so right, right now I'm kind of thinking about some kind of um, back and forth, um, present and past storyline that ha- draws on those themes. And I've got a few ideas percolating, so uh, we'll see where they go. But I'm, I definitely can't imagine a world in which I'm not writing. So there'll be something, something in my future. <laughs> well, good. I'm sure readers will be relieved uh, to hear that. Um, <laughs> so one book is our communities and many communities throughout the country, I think do things like this, do festivals and celebrations like this. Um, but it's where our community, our very small, uh, Southern town devotes out about a week, um, to one particular book. And we spend a few weeks, obviously reading the book as a community and, um, you know, local businesses have their employees read it, book clubs, read it, churches, read it. Um, and then we have these events kind of around the book. Um, and we've had some really lovely conversations. We read, um, picking cotton, which is this really powerful nonfiction, uh, story about forgiveness and, um, racial reconciliation. And then we've also done the happiness project by Gretchen Rubin. Um, and so we've had some really great, um, great celebrations of literature. And I'm curious, um, if you could choose one book for your community or the people you love to read together, what book, or you you know, if you can't narrow it down to one, I understand, but what types of books or what book would you pick for your community or for your, your people? Oh my gosh, that is such a great question. Um, and first of all, I should have mentioned right when we started how honored I am to be um, the one book I really, I mean, that was a when that invitation came through, I was just blown away and so excited. And I'm so honored to be um, your choice. And thank you specifically for um, no. reading for me. I really appreciate <laughs> that. Um, oh my gosh, there have been so many books that have you know, impacted me and moved me. And I feel like one that just jumps to mind partly because I finished it just a few days ago mm. and it's new. It's a memoir called Educated Ugh. by Tara Westover. It, yes. It's it's hard to read though. So I, I I would have to decide whether we go with something like that that talk about putting life in perspective. Yes. Um so if your listeners aren't familiar with it, it's um this woman's she's a young woman, I think she wrote it in her is she in her twenties even? Yeah, I think she um, and I I think she and I are actually almost the same age. So I think she's thirty now, but Yes. So young woman who grew up um, in the mountains of Idaho um, in a survivalist family who didn't believe in uh, birth certificates or government or education. And her, without giving too much away, I was just uh, torn apart by her story and her ability to tell it in such a sort of stoic way. Yes. It never sounded like she was complaining about it. Right. And you're like, oh my goodness. (laughs) 
get out of this family, but it's family. So back to that theme. Yes. It makes you ask yourself, what would I have done and how, and how, just how important family is you realize. And this is kind of incredible coming of age, um, and talk about an indomitable spirit. Yeah. Um, I know she has her ups and downs, but something, you know, that's just, to me, I was very inspired. Um, and it's got those sort of themes that I like of family and loyalty and also self-invention. And then beyond that, the meaning of education. So for schools, I don't know, that could be a really interesting, really interesting one. Yeah. Um, oh, that's a great, that's a great choice. I'll have to remember that for next year. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I'd be, I'm, I'm kind of keep an eye on her website because I would love to hear her speak. I don't know if she does speak about it, but um, imagine it's not easy for her. But yeah. at the same time, what a feat for her to get through the book and and get it all out there. And, and I'm just so happy to see that it's doing so, so well. Um, um, yeah, I think yeah, that's I a... Really start there. Yeah, I think that's a great choice. I um, We have done a couple of memoirs, as I mentioned, and um, I think people are always drawn to those um, because they feel real and vulnerable. And um, yeah. that story, I, I don't often listen to audiobooks um, because I'm such a visual learner, but I listened to that book. And I remember, I mean, just having these visceral reactions where I sometimes was talking back to the book, like, <laughs> like you said, like, get out of there. What are you doing? <laughs> Um, but then of course, yeah, but then of course, remembering the struggle it must've been because those were the people she loved and that's what she knew. And that's a, such a powerful, uh, book. And I think that'd be a great one book. Um, exactly. Okay. So to wrap up, I just have, um, three kind of quick, um, almost lightning round type questions for you. Uh, the first, um, so these questions we ask of, of most of our guests on the podcast. Uh, the first is, what is a classic book you've never read, but you wish you had? Oh, gosh. Maybe... Jane Eyre. Oh, that, you know what? That's so funny. That's what I have said, and yeah. a couple other people. Yeah, Jane Eyre is often mentioned as one. <sighs> it's, I have lots of guilty that I haven't read, I have to admit. So that's... <laughs> probably at the top of my list but I'm I need to dive when I have time into Hemingway Dickens like there's a lot on my list but yeah. it's probably the first one I'll read <laughs> um okay this is a podcast we love podcasts do you listen to podcasts and if so are there any in particular you recommend okay so I love lit up which is a great literary podcast I love recently I actually just did an interview with Ann Vogel who has a website called modern mrs darcy and her podcast is called what should i read next oh yeah where she great. yeah she's been here oh good yeah, yeah. Great. she's great and then i love her format how she asks you a bunch of questions about what you're reading what you like and then in the end she recommends three books um for the person she's interviewing yes so that was kind of cool. um so those are two great ones i recommend I, I also love all the kind of nerdy ones like the ted talks and one of my favorite ones actually is the New York Times Modern Love oh, yeah. uh, podcast because yeah. I love it's one of my favorite sections of the New York Times and I love that they bring in really sometimes really famous people to read that column aloud wow. and it's it's um, they're just such beautiful stories and all with the theme of love which is you know been top of topic today so um, yes that, those are those are some great ones. Um, okay, so last question, and you may have already partially answered this because we know you just finished Educated, but what book are you reading right now? 
I literally finished Educated last night. Okay. Um, so um, I need to pick up a new one. Um, actually, that's not true. I am also just finishing a um, – I'm partway through and almost done with a novel that I received as a galley called The Winter Soldier okay. um, by Daniel Mason. And I won't give too much away, and I haven't finished it yet, but I love – I'm loving the story – um, he is a brilliant writer who manages somehow to, um, tell these horrific wartime stories, um, through, with a, with a very kind of tender voice. Um, so this is actually World War One, um, okay. Vienna, and it's, it's at its core again, a love story set to this backdrop of pretty horrific uh, what's going on around this young man who's said to be a doctor in um, this like kind of remote valley in the mountains um, and I highly recommend it okay good I love I always yeah. like to hear what people are I mean I guess it's literally my job but I always like to know yeah, what people are reading yeah. I feel really lucky right now to get some of these galleys in there you know before they've gone um to pr- you know, yeah. before they're on the shelves, that's sort of when I had the most surreal moment of, oh my gosh, somebody wants me to read their book yeah. and comment on it. Um, so there are, a few, I mean, I'm happy to recommend a couple others too that are either just out or coming out. Yeah. Um, like The Air You Breathe. Oh, that yes. one I loved. It's yes. Francis DePontis Peebles. Yes. Kind of a long name. But that's Brazil. Um, starts in the 1930s story of friendship two young girls who meet each other they come from very very different opposite upbringings and they bond over music and um story of friendship and envy and sacrifice and love and it's very soulful and it gives you this very in in in-depth appreciation of um samba the brazilian Mm. music um and it kind of reads I started that one. I haven't finished it yet, but it is I it is so good. Atmospheric. It's just really yes. well done. Yes, agreed. Um, and then The Age of Light by Whitney Sherer, hmm. I really, really liked. Um, that's a true uh, historical fiction based on the story of this Vogue model who turns turned photographer Lee Miller. Um, who this is what she's one of those stories. So she ends up in Paris and has this romance with Man Ray um, in the 1930s and she's, it's one of those books where I flipped to the last page and then like cyber stalked <laughs> <laughs> I want to know everything about this woman I want to see all these photographs that they talk about in the book um, so again the historical fiction it just it's you feel like you're there in Paris with them as far as the setting goes uh-huh. and it really her storytelling is so gorgeous and so powerful um, and, but again a story of very strong feminine lead you know kind of ahead of her time um this very ambitious young woman trying to make her way um as a photographer in paris in the 30s um so those are two that i also loved and would recommend okay great thank you um thank you too for taking uh your time this morning to chat with me i so loved talking to you and i really cannot wait um we the uh, we Were the Lucky Ones has been a best-selling book here at the bookshelf for a couple of years now, and so I cannot wait for my readers and customers to get to meet you and um, to get to talk with you about the book. Um, and we're just we're just really thrilled. So thank you so much. Oh my gosh, Annie, thank you so much for your 
time inviting me on the show, and I can't wait to meet you in October. Okay, sounds good. Thanks, Georgia. Okay, have a great one. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.